Hello everybody, welcome back. It is time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America. The day is April 29th, 2021. So, here's the thing. We, are, we cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. I can't go to the Capitol physician and say, give me the names of people who aren't vaccinated so I can go encourage them to, or make it known to others to encourage them to be vaccinated. Uh, so we can't, we can't do that. This is August the, 17th, 2021. Mandate, it is a word that is frightening to some people. But the fact is we need to have vaccinations for our children to go to school. There are other uh, mandates for uh well, I had to get a mandate because I ate too much Bud's chocolate ice cream 30 years ago from a store where somebody uh, got sick and they said everybody had to get back, get uh, have a, a tetanus shot. <laughs> yeah, so on April 29th, 2021, Nancy Pelosi stood in front of a podium and said, it's a matter of privacy, people. We can't force physicians. We can't force people to be vaccinated. It's just something we can't do. We just can't do that. And then on August 17th of 2021, months later, complete flip-flop. What changed? What changed? I don't know. But it's pretty fucking scary what these politicians are doing. I got flip-flop videos for Pelosi. I got flip-flop videos for Fauci. You got former ph- pharmaceutical reps, former uh, you know executives for Pfizer and you know other companies. Out there talking about everyone's got their hands out, everyone, it's all about the money. The drug that gets approved is the drug that, uh, you know, more people invested in and the favored one that nobody spoke poorly of, regardless of the side effects. And then you guys know, how many times do you see after the fact all the videos on TV, or I'm sorry, all the commercials on TV where they're like, oh, are you a victim of this, that, and the other? Well, you may be uh, eligible for compensation. Did you take Zantac and develop cancer? <laughs> you know, were you in the military from 2000 to 2008 or 10 or whatever the fuck it is? And did you use this ear protection that actually didn't protect your ears and now you have hearing loss and tinnitus, etc.? People, do you know who the biggest court uh, settlement in American history? Do you know what company gets to hold that moniker? Pfizer people. These pharmaceutical executives, big pharma, are so 
it, the industry, the healthcare industry, is so in bed with government. It makes me sick. The fact that people aren't out in the streets protesting this every single day is beyond me. My fellow Americans, we are being lied to. Whether you want to believe it or not. I just watched a video of Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who I follow and I find to be quite intelligent. She shares great information about, about uh, you know, the, what's going on in the world with regard to studies of SARS-CoV-2 virus, etc., right? And she has a list of eight things that are just pissing her off about uh, what people are saying about these vaccines. And she gets emotional about it on uh, Joe Rogan's show. And she doesn't really get back to the point. And that scares me. That scares me when doctors are starting to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're starting to be more brainwashed, almost. And I'm not saying Dr. Rhonda Patrick's brainwashed. I'm just saying that, you know, the propaganda gets to all of us. I've said it before. Even people that are aware of it are still victims of it. You can't run from it. It is everywhere around us. The propaganda also is controlled by the same, you know, five companies. They control all the news and information you get to hear, right? Yada, yada, yada. They got you by the balls, right? Right, right. I've been over it a million times. What makes us think that technology can tell you the realities of this world? People, you got to go put your face in books. You got to go look at history if you want to find absolute truth. And what's the truth? Can we finally all admit that yes, although the vaccines are probably preventing um, symptoms of COVID-19 and Delta variant and every other variant, etc. But going right along with that is the fact that there is so much money invested in these vaccines. Bill Gates told you there's a 20 to 1 return. So, you know, it's it's they're doing pretty well for themselves. And I, you know, I wonder if the pulling out of Afghanistan deal has anything to do with the fact that, you know, we don't need the opium for the opioids anymore because now they're taking all their money and putting it into these vaccines. And the government's going to mandate it. They're going to force people. This might be one of the biggest crimes perpetrated by government against the United States citizens in the history of this country. And you know what? I bet none of you are going to do a goddamn thing about it. I bet you're all going to sit there on your fat asses and continue to let the cable TV wash over you. Unwilling to self-reflect. Unwilling to... Open your mind. Unwilling, unable, uninterested in opening your eyes and seeing the realities of what is happening in the world around you right now.
I honestly, when I started doing this podcast, people, I didn't think it was going to get this bad. Not in a year's time. You know, a lot of my crazy ideas have been purely theoretical over the years. I knew something was up after 9-11, for sure. And then I've, I've watched every prediction and every prophecy pretty much come true over the po- course of the past 20 years. You guys ever see those zeitgeist uh, conspiracy videos back in the day? Where at the end of the first one, uh, that gentleman, Mr. Russo, talked about his relationship with the Rothschild dynasty member, nephew, cousin, son, whatever, grandson, who said, you know, here's the, the plan is to get everybody on microchipped, RFID chips. We'll put all your information on the microchips. And if you decide to dissent against your government, we're just going to turn off the chip. And that's it. Go fuck yourselves, my fellow Americans, is the message your government is sending to each and every one of you. How does that make you feel? Does it piss you off? Or do you just look the other way? Oh, that hurts my brain. Ooh, that hurts my feelings. That's an uncomfortable thought. I don't, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm going to go dive into my technology and run away from reality. Because I don't like it. When it stares me in the face. How many times, my fans and listeners, how many times have you heard me say, you can't run and hide. You can't run away anymore. People, it's fucking coming. Honestly, I did not think it was going to get this bad this fast. It's scary. I, like I'm getting genuinely, genuinely afraid daily at this point. I continue to hear story after story after story that continues to scare the shit out of me. I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone, in bizarro world, in a parallel universe, taking crazy pills. Here we go. GlaxoSmithKline, $3 billion settlement included the largest civil false claims act settlement on record and Pfizer's $2.3 billion settlement included, including a record breaking $1.3 billion criminal fine. And what was that for? It was to resolve criminal and civil allegations that the company illegally promoted uses of four of its drugs, including the painkiller Bextra, the U.S. Department of Justice announced Wednesday. And this story came out September 2nd, 2009 is when this happened, years before COVID. Besides Bextra, the drugs were Giodin, an antipsychotic, Zyvox, an antibiotic, and Lyrica, an anti-epileptic drug. Once the Food and Drug Administration approves drugs, doctors can prescribe them off-label for any use, but makers can't market them for anything other than approved uses. Pfizer subsidiary Pharmacia and Upjohn, 
pleaded guilty to a felony violation for promoting off-label uses of Bextra, such as for pain relief after knee replacement surgery. At the FDA's request, at the FDA's request, people, Pfizer pulled Bextra off the market in April 2005 because its risks, including a rare, sometimes fatal skin reaction, outweighed its benefits. It had been approved only for treating rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, and menstrual pain. So let me ask you something, people. What happens if the FDA one day says, you know what? We got to ask Pfizer to pull then the mRNA vaccines off the market because of its risks, including a rare, sometimes fatal, whatever. In this case, it was skin reaction, which outweighed its benefits. How many times have you seen those, those ads where the side effects clearly outweigh the benefits and still they pump it out into your brains through the media and you fucking morons think it's safe because the authorities quote-unquote, told you it was safe. And it turned out that that was bullshit. Isn't that a situation? Isn't that one of millions of examples that you could look at if you have a brain in your head, a rational mind, the ability to use logic? Isn't that a situation that should make you say, hmm, maybe the FDA is just a bunch of... Just a group of people that are human beings that can make mistakes. What if these companies are so in bed with government that they're above the law? We've been over that previously with big tech, big pharma, big oil. People, we are living in an oligarchy. Government of the rich, by the rich, and for the rich. As part of the settlement, Pfizer will pay a criminal fine of $1.195 billion. The largest criminal fine ever imposed in the United States of America for any matter, ever, according to the Justice Department. Pharmacia and Upjohn must pay a 105 million criminal fine. Pfizer also has agreed to pay $1 billion in civil damages and penalties to compensate federal health care programs for false claims submitted as a result of its marketing Bextra and the other four drugs for off-label use or at unapproved dosages. And this article goes on to say, um, in an interview with uh, John Kopchinski, Pfizer sales rep, who was told to distribute 20 milligram samples to rheumatologists and orthopedists, even though the FDA had approved only 10 milligram doses. Uh, this guy was a West Point graduate, filed the first whistleblower lawsuit. Apparently this guy had a change of, con- a change of heart. His conscience was getting to him. He became, Kopchinski became 
uh, began rather questioning Pfizer's marketing of Bextra and sued Pfizer, fired him, a violation of the anti-retaliation provision of the Federal False Claims Act, says his attorney, Erica Kelton of Washington, D.C., firm Phillips and Cohen. At the end, his son was two and his wife was pregnant with twins. And they fired him. They fired him for blowing the whistle. And I'm going to give you a round of applause, Kopchinski, for having the balls to speak truth to power. The world needs more of you. Of the $102 million share of the settlement that will be divided among six whistleblowers, Kupchinski will receive $1.5 million. Oh, I'm sorry, $51.5 million. Wait a second. They gave the whistleblower money? Okay. That kind of changes the game a little bit for me. Why'd they give this guy a bunch of money? Maybe he was enticed into blowing the whistle. Hmm. Interesting story. In a statement, Pfizer Senior Vice President and General Counsel Amy Shulman said, We regret certain actions taken in the past, but are proud of the action we've taken to strengthen our internal controls and pioneer new procedures. So there you go. I've told you about externalities in the past, people. And that's a lot of... Uh, the argument of some of the more intelligent left-wingers out there that I've encountered is that, you know, at what point does um, capitalism and crony capitalism in particular, you know, what, at what point do they does that marriage of big business and big government become, uh, you know, so powerful to the point where now they're preventing the little guy, you and me, from being entrepreneurs in a field because they've cornered the market. They've pushed out all their competition with the help of the government, which I've said it before, is the only way that monopolies can happen. So the point I'm trying to make, people, is that this stuff is scary. And these, this is the same company that's mass marketing your vaccines. For the COVID-19 virus that was probably created in a lab by design so that they could make billions of dollars off of forcing every person in this world to get this vaccine that gives them a 20 to 1 return on investment in the words of Bill Gates. People... If that does not make you put your tinfoil hat on and start scratching your fucking heads, I don't know what will. Wow. This is real life, people. I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. Um, here, I wanted to play this clip. So, you know, when you guys listen to this, I want you to just think. And listen to the emotion, um, the frustration, the disappointment in Rhonda Patrick's voice. And she is one of the people in this world that I actually think knows what the hell she's talking about. But she, she does get obviously frustrated with... Her ability to uh, assemble her thoughts. And 
I was getting ready when she started talking about this with such passion. I was like, oh, wow, we're getting ready to hear the mother load about the reality of this stuff from an actual scientist, right? And then Joe just asks her a few, like, completely normal questions. And she kind of crumbles and buckles a little bit. And it made me, it made me feel bad because it made me think that maybe the propaganda is getting to even Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Maybe we are all victims of the propaganda, the media manipulation, the manufacturing of our consent through the use of tools of manipulation that were studied and researched by your Sigmund Freuds, your Edward Bernays, etc., etc., etc. The human mind has been studied for years and years and years now. They got us by the balls, people. We are all victims of disinformation, misinformation, complete horseshit lies, etc. So take a listen to this, and you be the judge. Here we go. The Joe Rogan experience... But, you know, the since we're on this topic, can we talk a little yes. bit about vaccines? Because I'm it's something I've I have seen a lot of misinformation like on everywhere. <laughs> Facebook, on, you know, different news media outlets and and I think there's really like some some main ones that that I just feel are causing harm. And so, um there's really eight of them. We don't need to talk about all of them, but I think the eight really are that, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is not that bad. COVID-19 is not that bad. And, you know, vaccines basically don't prevent transmission. Spike protein from vaccines are cytotoxic, therefore they're really bad. Um, That vaccines are going to cause something called antibody-dependent enhancement, which is going to make you have a more severe disease. There's the vaccines are going to cause infertility, there's the um, vaccines are going to cause a more virulent, virulent um, strain or variant. And then there's one more that um, oh, alternatives to vaccines exist right now. They're just as good. And I think that there's a few of those that are really, I mean, just like blatantly, they're wrong. All of them, I think they're, but I mean, you know, there's some that are more important than others. And I think that I would like to talk about them. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, the... There's like two groups of people, mostly. One take thinks COVID-19 is bad, doesn't want to get wants the vaccine, and the other one that thinks it's not that bad and uh, that the vaccines may be harmful. And there's also Do you people. think the vaccines are harmful to anyone? Well, of course. I mean... Do you know anyone that's had bad reactions to vaccines? I personally, interestingly, the only... I know a lot of people that have gotten vaccinated, and the only person that I know that had something was like, she had a headache for like a week and a half and then it went away. Um, oh no, another person I knew had like nausea for like a, a couple of weeks. They were like nauseous more, more frequently, but it went away. Um, you know, do vac- you think you would feel differently if you knew someone that had a stroke or someone who's had heart attacks, perhaps young people that have? Well, I, it's hard to say. So, you know, I do people react differently, obviously, when you're giving, you know, hundred and more than 169 million people are vaccinated, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's half 
our adult population is is vaccinated, fully vaccinated with COVID-19. And um, it's not zero risk. People are, some people are going to have an adverse reaction. And they do. It's a big world out there. You know, like if you were to give 169 million people a peanut or a shellfish, like some people are going to have very adverse reactions. Some people right. are going to die. Like it's, it's a big world. But, you know, with the, with the stroke or the heart attack, you know, you have to like, like, so if you're trying to compare, for example, let's say, you know, you're looking at actual COVID-19 deaths and from heart attacks and strokes, and mm-hmm. you're looking at the vaccine adverse events reporting site VAERS, right? And, and that as well. You know, you have to realize that basically in the United States, like in 2017, there was a publication in the Journal of Circulation. Someone dies from cardiovascular disease every 30 seconds in the United States. Like every 30 seconds. Most of those people are above the age of 50 and certainly most are above 65. She's defending But every vaccines. 30 seconds, someone's dying from cardiovascular disease. Every right. 40 seconds, someone in the United States has a stroke. Every four minutes, they die from a stroke. But this is also very, very rare in young people, particularly young, healthy people. But one thing that has occurred in young, healthy people that have been vaccinated is myocarditis. And yes. some people have had blood clots, like quite a few blood clots. And there's speculation, right? The Salk Institute released that paper about the uh, spike protein causing uh, some sort of deterioration of the blood vessels. Did you read that? I looked at the spike. I lo- I've been looking at a lot of the um, spike protein. and That's from COVID-19. They're discussing it. They're talking about from, right. yeah. From, from the actual disease itself. Yes. So, um, you know, first of all, like there are, you have to like there's you're 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 either going to get infected with SARS-CoV-2. Most people are going to be eventually. We're all going to be exposed to it. So you're either going to be vaccinated when you're exposed to it or not. And people are dying from heart attacks and blood clots and even people are getting myocarditis like hundredfold times more than vaccines. Like the the myocarditis link from the mRNA, specifically the mRNA vaccines is real. And I think the last I saw it was like 50 per million, which is still rare. And it's... It's happened to two people that I know. It, 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 so it, I, up until then, and actually now that you asked me, um, I forgot. I had a um, someone who's a, a, a supporter. Um, I talked about vaccines in one of my Q&As I do. And they went and got it and they were younger and ended up having some kind of myocarditis. So I do know someone that had... had I, I don't know them, but they emailed me. Now, what so, happens if you have that? And like, how do you recover from that? But you realize it's happening to young people. So myocarditis is caused by two things. One, by inflammation. Two, by direct viral infection. And it's more common in adolescents and young people. And it's an enlargement of the heart? It's inflammation of the heart. It can Mm -hmm. lead to that, yeah. But it's it's happening in young athletes with COVID-19. Like, and it's happening, like, more frequently than people that are getting vaccinated. So it's still like, well, if the person that got vaccinated, look, it is a risk, but it's still pretty rare. And it also is treatable. In most cases, they treat it like within a few days and it's isolated. Why do you think that people like there are people that are completely asymptomatic when they get COVID or if they do get it, it's very mild. Do you think that's because they have a lower viral load that they've been uh, infected with? Or do you think it's their immune system that fights it off? Like, what do you think is happening? It could be any and all of those things, a right. um, combination of them. And, you know, but so like, even if you think, you know, if you're looking at just like the most extreme part of like the deaths, right? You know, you've got like 
over 624,000 deaths in COVID-19. Most of those deaths are happening in people over the age of 50. Um, and if you look at like... Most of them have four plus comorbidity factors, right? Isn't that the average? I don't know if it's four plus for average for... I think the comorbidities <laughs> increase. Yeah, I think. They, does what, anybody what know the what the fuck they're talking about? Are in terms of like uh, Death. the deaths. It used to be oh two Oh my god! Six, I think they raised it to four. Really, the yeah. number of them four. Okay. I think well, so. So I might be wrong, but so, I know it was at least two points. Right. So then there's the argument. Well, I'm healthy. I don't have comorbidities, right? I mean, so so what what should I do? Like, should I you know get vaccinated or or should I be exposed to the virus? And I think there's a lot of evidence and there's multiple lines of evidence. One, you know, there are people with mild symptoms that are getting post-acute COVID syndrome. They're getting this, what people call long haul COVID. And, a lo- and the majority of people- What do you think that is? What is post, what is long haul COVID? I don't know what it is. I think it depends on the, the symptoms. I think there could be a variety of causes for it. Um, you know, so there are people, and most of it's, this is happening in teenagers to like 50. Most of the people that are older are not getting this long-haul COVID. It's, like, happening in people that are mostly not being hospitalized. People that don't get hospitalized originally, like, they have mostly, like, pretty mild symptoms. In some cases, even asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a study published in um, The Lancet, like, last year showing there was a seven-fold increase in stroke incidence in people under 50 in the United States compared to the year before that, before the pandemic started. And that is this probably was, because the spike protein that causes this deterioration of the blood vessels and blood clots. Is that what it is from well, the from the virus? Well, I don't know what it is. I mean, there's lots of things. You know, viral infections themselves can cause hypercoagulation. They can cause... Okay, I'm going to pause this real quick. I thought... I even said at the beginning of this video, I think she's defending the vaccines. And then with very, very simple, direct questions from Joe Rogan. She's flustered. Dr. Rhonda Patrick, flustered. Let me ask you something. Could it be that this virus is a chimera, (laughs) to say the least, in the history of viruses? That maybe it behaves in ways that even educated doctors who study this stuff are flustered and can't make sense of it. It's too soon. More trials need to be done. More research needs to be done. More evidence needs to be discovered, right? (laughs) My fellow Americans, you, me, all of us, not only in this country but around the world, were the trials for the mRNA vaccine, whether you want to believe that or not. In my humble opinion, of course, I do not have the facts and evidence to support that claim. It is only my humble opinion. And here we go, continuing with this interview between Rhonda Patrick, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, and Joe Rogan cause blood clots like just like that's like known from other viruses like that's some there's inflammation without the spike protein protein. so let's okay 
I feel like I haven't got to address everything, but let's talk so about the spider right there real quick. I think this four points out where I would find this information. I hope that's the spot. Yeah, there is an average of 4.0 additional conditions or causes of death for data on deaths involving COVID-19 he brought up the stats. time period, jurisdiction, and other health conditions. For this is only 5% The COVID was the only cause. and then for So for only 5% of the COVID deaths, COVID-19 was the only cause mentioned. 5%. So out of those 600,000 people that died, only 5% died just from COVID-19. Well, I mean, so you have people that are COVID-19 is going to make their comorbidities worse. And, yes. and that could be the same for a vaccine. It could be the same for anything, right? I mean, so like something that's going to activate the immune system. Yeah, but I've, the, the concern is with, with vaccines, the negative effects of what people are worried about, I think, is young people that are healthy that have negative effects, mm -hmm. like that have had strokes or that have had thrombosis or myocarditis and those issues, right? Well, I think, you know, again, if you look at the data... You know, young people are also experiencing those things at a higher rate. And are those all the people with the comorbidities? Like, I don't know. You know, like, I, I, I'm not sure. But it seems as though no matter which way you look at it, like, it, it's, it is worse to be exposed to that virus. And, like, how do you know that person that had that myocarditis wouldn't have had it exfold worse with the with the COVID-19? Because it's been shown to happen in young, healthy athletes. You know, and people has are, it been shown in large numbers, like the athletes, more, more so, it, more so, it's more so than the vaccines. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm yeah. saying that it's happening. Myocarditis from the vaccines is happening in younger people at a higher rate than from the vaccines. Do we have accurate data? Do you think about how many myocarditis instances we have from the vaccine? Well, you could argue there's an underreporting. Um, I think people, so anyone can submit data to the to the VAERS, and I think when it comes to someone who's younger. Um, they're more likely, I mean, so healthcare professionals have to submit to mm -hmm. the VAERS if there's like something that's life-threatening, which myocarditis could be, or if it's a death or something that's like, you know, changes their daily fun functions, like congenital effects. They like have they're, to they're, submit it? Yes, they are. If they are, they are. But if, uh, do they, how do they know that myocarditis is caused by the vaccine? It, they don't, but if it if the person had vac gotten vaccinated, and by the way, there's no time constraint. Like it's not like oh, if they've only been you know vaccinated within like in two months, like they're supposed to they're supposed to submit to VAERS. Like if someone was vaccinated, they're and then something to. yes. Is there encouragement or discouragement to submit to VAERS? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, you know, if you again, even just looking at the deaths in every age group, even. Like, you know, people that are in my age group, 40 to 49, you know, there's 20,000 deaths that have been linked to the confirmed COVID-19 cases. Right. Whereas, you know, so in VAERS, it's 200. With, with and even if you triple that. For people with comorbidities, obviously, it's a real issue. Yeah, I don't know if that's, if that's always the case. But yes, definitely with people with comorbidities. Because according to this, what we pulled up, it's 5% that are dying just of the COVID. I'm confused. 95% have an average of Jesus four comorbidities. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, if that's true for all ages, um, then, you know, yes, people with comorbidities are more likely to die. But also younger people, are, like I said, they're more likely to get, you know, these long haul symptoms where I've known so many people you know, that they're, they've, they've gotten like their loss of smell or taste has been like several months. And there's now studies showing that, you know, if you, there was a huge study out of the biobank, um, UK biobank data, where the, where right before the pandemic started, 
MRIs were done, brain scans Mm -hmm. on like almost a thousand people. It was like over 800. And then the pandemic hit. People got COVID. Some people didn't, whatever. So they brought these, these, the same cohort of people back in for a brain scan. And, you know, basically they corrected for people. So they had people that they compared people that were the same age, same gender, same sex. And, and then they, um, also time between scans. And they found that both mild and severe COVID-19 cases caused a atrophy in the gray matter region of the brain. It was worse in people that had it more severe. Right. Understandable. But people that had mild cases that didn't go to the hospital had it. How many people did they study with this? It was over 800. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you need, you need more data to confirm, but I mean, were these people, did they stratify it by age? Did they they have age, it by gender, health? ethnicity, health? I don't know. Did, I don't, did they have comorbidities? Did they factor that in? They had people that age the same age, you know, as mm-hmm. the as people didn't get COVID. Right. They didn't have it. I mean, you know, and this is they, several months. This is just months right. after. I don't know about the health. Did they monitor their nutrition or find out what? kind of supplements there were I don't know if, I don't I don't know if any of that data was was you know in it but Do you think that data would be a factor at all? I don't know because I know people that supplement that exercise that have had um were diagnosed with they had a mild case and they were diagnosed with POTS, you know, post postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome where their heart was racing like tachycardia was racing just con- control like uncontrollably. They were dizzy couldn't had no energy. I mean, this was months, and they finally got diagnosed. There's like a lot of people coming out with this, but you know. Do you know anybody that had COVID and got through it with almost no symptoms at all and was very mild? Um, well, yeah, no <laughs> symptoms at all. But the people that I do know, most of them had some kind of weird taste issue, like or smell thing for like weeks and weeks. But um, but you don't yeah, know anybody I, that didn't have that. Um, I don't because most of the people I know that had it lost their smell oh boy i mean i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know how that makes me feel it's scary it seems too perfectly constructed to be a chance occurrence too many signs are pointing to Rich assholes colluded, conspired to find a reason to get this world under a possible world government. The need for it, at least the groundwork is being laid. I don't know, maybe I'm a crazy nut job idiot, tinfoil hat wearing, conspiracy theorist, uh, idiot, dumbass. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I am. Maybe I'm just a stupid idiot. But I feel like I got a rational mind. And my rational mind tells me that something's up, my fellow Americans. Operation Dark Winter in 2001, where one of the main objectives was how to force vaccinate an uncooperative population. Atlantic Storm in 2005 addressed the logistics of mass vaccinations and military quarantines. Clade X in 2018 pushed for radical fast-tracking of vaccine production. Crimson Contagion was a massive exercise launched in January of 2019. 
Crimson Contagion lasted for over half a year and was based on a severe pandemic that originated in China. On October 18th of 2019, John Hopkins partnered with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to sponsor Event 201, a simulation wherein an outbreak of a bat coronavirus kills 65 million people. Yeah, so apparently that happened. And then... Hi, so I had to resign as a physician today from a clinic here in California that I've come to call my own. And the reason that I had to resign is because of they had made the tough decision that they were no longer going to see patients that were unvaccinated. As a matter of fact, they would no longer be allowed in the building if they were unvaccinated. Now, I signed a Hippocratic oath that I would do no harm. And now I'm expected, physicians are expected, nurses are expected to turn people away if they are not vaccinated. Now, let me, let me take this one step further. Imagine a state where it is illegal to ride a motorcycle without a helmet. And that same person gets into a car, a, a car accident without a helmet on. Do we turn that person away when they get to the emergency room? Or do we do everything we possibly can to save them? So I would no more discriminate against somebody who was unvaccinated than I would because of their faith, what they look like, their race, their ethnicity. And I encourage physicians and healthcare workers around the country to stand up and say, we've had enough of this, okay? It, it's, it's one thing for you to mandate that all the healthcare workers get a vaccine, that they don't know what's gonna happen when they take it, but it's a whole nother thing for you to then say, we're going to discriminate against people who don't take it. Now in New York City, a law has been passed that if you're unvaccinated, you really can't even go into the grocery store, right? And all of this under the assumption that it's making it a safer place for the rest of us. But how is that? When as a vaccinated person, I could give you COVID. As an unvaccinated person, I could give you COVID. So where is the science here? Other than there being a bunch of fear, where is the science? So I would no law, no, I, I refuse to discriminate against unvaccinated people. And I encourage some of you around the world to stand up and refuse as well. So I resigned. Some of you are likely going to have to do similar things. And I just want you to know that it's okay. You still have a choice in this matter. And for me, the choice was to walk away. Oh, yeah, so that doesn't make me feel better. And then I'm just going to warn you guys, this is weird. And I don't know if this is crazy conspiracy theory. Apparently there's this guy... Dr. Zelenko, who is famous for doing the three um, hydrochloroquine, zinc, and whatever the other thing is to treat COVID-19, doctor. Uh, he's trying to be, you know, I think he is portraying himself to be the king of the anti-vaxxers. And I'm going to let you listen to this and be the judge. This is a little difficult to listen to. It was even for myself, but, you know, this is part of my show. We got to face hard information that makes us feel uncomfortable. So 
here's this guy, Dr. Zelenko, speaking to a bunch of, uh, I think, uh, Hasidic Jewish elder types. And uh, it's kind of funny. There's a part in here where I think one of the guys farts. And <laughs> they're talking about all this serious vaccine stuff. And then, like, someone just rips one. It's kind of funny. But um, kind of scary at the same time. So here we go. Take a listen to this. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko is a board-certified family physician for over 20 years. He has been described by his patients as a family member to thousands of families and is a medical advisor to the Volunteer Ambulance Corps in Kiryas Joel, New York. Dr. Zelenko developed his now famous Zelenko Protocol, which has saved countless lives worldwide. So uh, welcome, Dr. Zelenko. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I would like you to uh, comment on our uh, subject, please. Thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Very good. So I'll just give you quickly my, my experience. My team has directly treated uh, successfully 6,000 patients. I've trained hundreds of physicians who are now training their students. And as a cumulative group, we've treated millions of patients successfully. Uh, President Trump was my, my patient. Rudy Giuliani was my patient. Reb Chaim Konevsky has been my patient. Uh, Rabbi Lit Mr. Litzman, your health minister of Israel last year was my patient. I'm, I'm just telling you um, which people have contacted me for care, and including President Bolsonaro of Brazil. Now, uh, my experience has given me a very uh, unique perspective in, in approaching COVID-19, which is basically keeping people out of the hospital. Uh, I would like to describe, the, regarding children, the only reason you would want to treat a child is if you believe in child sacrifice, or even the voters are. If you, if you want to be mocked of children, uh, like a carbon, very good reason to give them the shot. Otherwise, um, there's no necessity. Let me explain. Any, anytime you evaluate any therapeutic, you need to look at it, at it from three perspectives. Is it safe? Does it work? And do you need it? Just because you have a capability doesn't mean that you have to use it. There has to be a medical necessity. There has to be a need for it. If you look at the CDC, the statistics for children under the age of 18 that are healthy, the survival rate is 99.998% survival rate with no treatment. Just like Dr. Yudin said, the influenza virus is more dangerous to children than uh, COVID-19. And he made an estimate that per million a hundred children would die from the vaccination. I, with it, I feel the number would be significantly higher and I'll explain to you the rationale for it. So if you have a demographic, can you hear me? We hear you excellent, if you have a demographic that has no risk of dying from an illness, why would you inject them with a poison death shot? Now, Let's see if this thing works. The two countries in the world that are most vaccinated its citizens is Israel, a high 85% like rate of vaccination, and an island nation in the Indian Ocean called Seychelles, but also over 80%. Both countries are experiencing a Delta variant outbreak. So let me ask you a question. If you vaccinated 
if you vaccinated your the majority of your population, why are you still having an outbreak? That's number one. Number two, why would you even give a third shot of the same stuff that didn't work the first two times? All right, that's, that's whether or not it works. And let's talk about safety. Now, this is the real issue. There are three levels of uh, safety or death that we need to look at. One is acute, one is subacute, and long-term. Acute, I'll define from the moment of injection till three months. The number one risk of the shot is blood clots, just like Dr. Yudin said, according to the Salk Institute. Oh, by the way, everything I'm saying, I will defend with documentation. Uh, and please don't take my word for it. You should do your due diligence. And I can, I can provide to you uh, proof for everything that I'm saying. According to the Salk Institute, um, when a person gets an injection of, of these vaccines, quote unquote, the body becomes a spike producing factory, making trillions of spikes, which migrate to the endothelium, which is the inner lining of your blood vessels. And it's basically little thorns <clears throat> on the inside of your vasculature. As the blood cells flow through it, they get damaged, they cause blood clots. If that happens in the heart, it's a heart attack. If that happens in the brain, that's a stroke. So we're seeing the number one cause of death in the short term is from blood clots. And most of it is happening within the first three, four days. 40% is happening within the first three days of injection of uh, this poison death shot. Now, the other problem is that it's causing myocarditis or inflammation in the hearts of children, and uh, young adults, I'm sorry, in the hearts of young adults. And the third problem, which is the most disturbing, is according to the New England Journal of Medicine article, their preliminary data, the miscarriage rate in the first trimester, woman gets vaccinated in the first trimester goes from 10% to 80%. I want you to understand what I just said. The miscarriage rate in the first trimester of pregnant women, when they get vaccinated, goes up by a factor of eight. That's preliminary data. It may change with time, but I'm just telling you what it is as of today. That's the smallest of the problem. The second problem is the subacute death issue, which is the following, that the animal studies that were done with these uh, vaccines show that all the animals responded well in generating antibodies. When they were challenged, however, with the virus that they were immunized against, a large percentage of them died. And when that was investigated, it was found that their immune system had killed them. It's called something, uh, antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming or paradoxical immune enhancement. But the point is that a lot of those animals died. So you can make an argument, maybe human beings are different. My answer to you, maybe. However, those studies were not done. You are the study right now. The Pfizer CEO said Israel is the biggest laboratory in the world. And so those long-term studies to rule out Dr. Luke Montague, who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine for the discovery of HIV, said that this is the biggest risk to humanity and the biggest risk of genocide in the history of humanity. And so the risk of a ADE reaction in human beings, which happens later, has not been ruled out. So my question is, why would I vaccinate someone uh, with a potentially destructive lethal 
substance without ruling that out first. And the third component here is the long-term consequences. There is definite evidence that it affects fertility, damages ovarian function, that it reduces sperm counts. Number one, number two, definitely increases the amount of autoimmune diseases. Who knows over time how that is gonna reduce lifespan. And just last week, a paper came out showing that increases the risk of cancer. So any way you wanna look at it, whether in, in the acute setting where it causes blood clots, inflammation of the heart and miscarriages, in the midterm subacute setting where it can result in a uh, pathological disastrous immune reaction, or in the long-term, whether it causes increased autoimmune diseases, cancer, and infertility. Now, that's a big concern. Actually, I, I will say it this way. In my opinion, the current Israeli government is a Gilgul of Joseph Mengele. They have permitted, they have permitted human experimentation of their own people. And, and I'm gonna tell you, I, I hope, I hope this basin is a little different, maybe not, but I know I finally understood what Chazal say, that if you see Tzuras and Cholesterol, you should look at the Dayan Yisrael, Masechta Shabbos, that if you see trouble in the Jewish people, yes, you should look at the, the, at the rabbinic leadership, because if that's, if the head is diseased, what do you expect of the body? So I beg of this basin to put the interests of cholesterol above politics and anything else that may alter your opinions. I have, I received death, daily death threats. I risked my life, my career, um, my financial life, my reputation, my, almost my family, everything, just to, to sit here and tell you what I'm telling you. So I'll, I'll just summarize it, that there is no need for this vaccine. And there's actually no need for anyone. And I'll explain. Children, I already told you, they, they have a 99.998% chance of getting better. Young adults from 18 to 45 have a 99.95% of getting better. This is according to the CDC, same concept. Someone who has already COVID and has antibodies, naturally uh, induced immunity is a billion times more effective than artificially induced immunity through vaccine. So why, why would I vaccinate someone with a poison death shot that makes inferior or dangerous antibodies when I already have healthy antibodies? And then if you look at the high risk population that has a 7.5% death rate, so my data, which was the first in the world, which I published in a peer-reviewed journal, which has become the basis of over 200 other studies and that have corroborated my observations that if you treat people in the right time frame, you reduce death rate by 85%. So out of 600,000 Americans, we could have prevented 510,000 from going to the hospital and dying. And by the way, I presented this information to Bibi Netanyahu directly into his hands by way of a shliach in April of 2020. And I informed every single member of your Ministry of Health as well. So my, my question to you is, 
if I can reduce the death rate from 7.5% to less than a half a percent, why would I use a poison death shot that doesn't work and has tremendous and horrific side effects? And I'll do one more mind experiment with you. If everyone on the planet were to get COVID and not get treated, the death rate globally will be less than a half a percent. Now, I'm not advocating for that. That's a lot of people. That's 35 million people would die. However, if we follow the advice of some of the quote-unquote global leaders, let's say like Bill Gates said last year, 7 billion people need to be vaccinated, the death rate will be over 2 billion people. So wake up, this is World War III. This is a level of, of uh, malfeasance and malevolence that we have not seen probably in the history of humanity. So I'm against child sacrifice. I'm against Avodah And I really believe that the God is testing every human being here. And here's the test. Are you gonna bow down to me, to Hashem? Are you going to ask for your protection from me? Are you going to take your, fe your fears and ask me to help? Or are you going to run to the Vodazara, the Eagle Hazov of the vaccine, of your governments, of, of despots and tyrants like sociopaths? Want to be deities. There's nothing new under the sun. These people are no different than Paro. They, thought, they think they're God. And you're going to bow down to them. If you're going to bow down to them, let's, okay, let them protect you. Let's see how that's going to work out for you. I've seen fear drive people to do things that are completely irrational, do not make sense, and they sacrifice their, their own children. And yes, your Ministry of Health is lying to you. Your statistics are absolutely skewed. If you want to see something real, there's a website called worldmeters.info. Go to Israel. And you could see at December 20th, there's a huge spike in the curve of death in Israel. Do you know what happened in Israel December 20th? National immunization started. And these are numbers being reported by the Israeli government. They're just too stupid to, see, uh, to hide it. There is zero justification, zero justification for using this poison death shot unless you want to sacrifice human beings. I think I'm done. Okay, so I got, <laughs> I got so many problems with this. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from the guy and what he's done. If he's successfully uh, treated all these people or not. If he has, then good for him. Fantastic. And maybe we should look into his treatments if that's the case. Absolutely. But, I mean, I don't know what this guy stands to gain from being so anti-vaccine in this. And obviously the, the science and the research needs to be done. He seems pretty matter-of-fact about what he uh, claims to know and you know, etc. But, you know, I've said it a million times. I'm, I'm not trying to take a side. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just providing you the mental 
ammunition that you need to make good decisions for yourself and for your family in this new 21st century brave new world order Orwellian surveillance police state totalitarian dictatorship that's coming. It's coming. Here's some more of Dr. Crazy Pants Zelenko. After, after, after these words, the doctor, I don't think you can ever say you're done. Uh, I very much appreciate your time and your effort. Very definite and very clear. We appreciate it, doctor. Do you have any very questions? Much. I have many questions, but uh, just just to summarize, two billion would uh, would pass out if we give seven billion the shot, according to what the doctor said, correct? No, not according to what I said. According to what world experts are saying, that the the if you look at Dr. Malone, who invented the mRNA technology, has the original patents for the vaccine. He's saying, do not use this. The government is lying to you. The side effects are horrific. Dr. Cahill from Ireland said that uh, she believes that within two years, 90% of the people that got vaccinated will be dead. When Dr. Michael Yidden, I hope you can confirm, I hope he's still there, uh, was asked that question, he said he wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so I, I don't know, maybe it's not 90%? What, what is the percentage? And maybe it's not two years, maybe it's three years. And Dr. Luke Montague, who is the Nobel Prize winner for the discovery of HIV, saying this is the biggest risk of genocide in the history of humanity. So it's just a bit, if you have six, six million that received presently in Israel, correct? Now the number? Three million. So three million, so if we take that percentage by three million, we should be seeing some 500,000, 800,000? Over time. Over time. 2.7 million in two years. America first is 250 million. Uh, you, Dr. Zelenko, you, you, uh, you, you, you mentioned studies that definitely, the studies that came out that is definitely uh, uh, a cause of, of, uh, of fertility problems, sperm count, and now recently a cancer research study that says that, the, that, the, that it causes cancer. Uh, where, where the government showed these, these, why are they holding back these things? We see all the time coming out studies, there's no problems of fertility, all bluff, no problems of sperm count, bluff, Cancer, bluff, everything, everything that you said, we're being counted back by the, by, by not only by uh, the governments, but by mo most of the medical industry is telling us that all these studies that say that it's not, that, that, the, that, the, that the vaccination is dangerous, is all baloney and so it's only anti-vax uh, crazy. I can answer now, right? Can I answer now? Yeah. If yeah, you yes, sum please. every single person you just mentioned, if you sum total the number of patients they've treated for COVID, it will equal zero. And I've treated over 6,000 patients. So uh, you have to know who you're talking to. And I have no Nagias except the loss of my life. Now, what I'm going to tell you is the following that yes, 
there's been a very coordinated effort to suppress life-saving information. Drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, have, which are the safest medications in the history of medicine, have been suppressed and you can't even get them in Israel. Um, doctors who dare to say something that is against the narrative are being deplatformed, including world experts, like Dr. Malone, for example, who developed the mRNA vaccine, said something against the narrative, was deplatformed from every media uh, platform. Can you tell me why? And then can you tell me why there is suppression of, of knowledge of side effects about this poison death shot? And then tell me why there's this incredible coercion, psychological pressure, and now using force to compel people to take the shot. You should be answering that question, not me. There is a coordinated effort here. And Israel's leading the way. Excuse me, the VAERS data in the United States is also not really showing the numbers that, that you're saying okay. either. Okay, now you started. VAERS data shows as of today 11,000 dead people and 450,000 adverse events. First of all, that's not enough. What's your threshold of death? No, and that's a okay. Theirs is already admitting to that. There's a CDC whistleblower that just said it's not eleven thousand, but it's forty-five thousand. That's not enough. And then there's a two thousand nine Harvard study that said only one percent of actual events are reported. Now I can make an argument that perhaps rashes are reported at a much lower rate than death. So for the benefit of the doubt, let's say, let's say 20% of deaths are being reported. And I'm being very generous. So if you take 45,000, according to the whistleblower, or even if you take 11,000 to what they admit, so the number is either 50,000, it's like the Haggadah, 50,000 or 200,000, you choose. And then there are two other problems with theirs. I have colleagues that lost patients from the vaccine. They try to file reports. The, the system rejects their reports for no reason. And is the other problem, and I have evidence for this as well, that reports that were filed are now being scrubbed off the system and you can't even find them. So even if you, by the way, this is not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy not a theory. You know, 18 months ago, if I would have told you that COVID-19 is a bioweapon, you would say I'm a conspiracy theorist. You know, Noah in the Bible was a conspiracy theorist until it rained. So right now, if I tell you that this is an artificially made bioweapon, it's not, a, it's a conspiracy, but not a theory. Everyone agrees that this is artificially made and I even, I, have, I know exactly when it was made, and I know the patent numbers associated with the modifications. In, two, in, in 1999, Dr. Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina modified a bat coronavirus in, on a surface protein in order that it should infect human beings. Then that research became illegal in America. It got sent by the American taxpayer dollars and by Fauci to Wuhan, where 
that research continued and until they figured out a way to modify this virus to make it extremely more destructive to human lungs and to cause blood clots. So they took an artificial, a naturally occurring virus and slowly made two changes to it over time. It took them 22 years to uh, 20 years to, to modify that it should infect humans. And then when it does infect humans, that it should destroy tissue. Now, no one's saying I'm a conspiracy theorist. People are saying it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to commit genocide. It's so hard for Jewish people to believe that there could be a group of people willing to destroy. It's a war against God. There's two ways of looking at life. Either you look at a, a human being is made in the image of God. If you're made in the image of God, that means your life has sanctity. If you have, your life has sanctity, then you have human rights. And if you have human rights, it's not your business or my business to decide how many people should be on the planet and who should live or die, right? The other system, the let's call it the, the Darwin eugenic system, but it actually goes back to kind. But that system says basically who is on top of the dominance hierarchy of life those that have the biggest survival benefit. That inevitably leads to three categories of people, the Ubermensch, the Mensch, and the Untermensch. If you apply that 80 years ago, the Ubermensch were these Nazis who were descendants of Aryan gods who felt it was in their uh, prerogative, their right to decide who lives or dies. So the Mensch, which were the Anglo-Saxons, the Europeans could live and be slaves and the untermenschen, the Jews, the Slavs, handicapped, gypsies, political prisoners, those needed to become dust. So it sounds like a fairy tale, except that it killed 200 million people. And it's the same exact thing now, except that it's not anti-Semitic. Right now, it's a completely different. There's a group of people that feel that they've evolved into a higher level of consciousness that in, in, their new intelligence and insight allows them to determine these things. I don't think they evolved. I think they're devolved pagans. I think they've become the, Mamash what the Torah calls, these avodazorniks from before, Balpeor or Molech. That's, there's no difference from that. I understand, but but let's not, let's not, we just, we just want to, the CDC itself is, is, is also Mr. Biden is also running a, a vaccination program. Also, let's, let's, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, let's say I'm against the program, but but you know, you can you can scream over here, but your okay. people in America are taking off. Okay. There are 200 million people who are okay. took the vaccines. I'm sorry, that's all. That's all. So then let me tell you about the CDC. President Trump made an executive order that every single American should have access to hydroxychloroquine. That order right. went to um, Health and Human Services, Secretary Azar, and that eventually ended up at the CDC um, by Dr. Rick Bright. And that what Dr. Rick Bright did, instead of using the right to try legislation that would have made access to this medication to every human, every actually every American and every human being around the world, because the biggest complaint I got from Israel was, well, your CDC, your FDA is not approving it because every other, especially the Israeli government are mamish puppets to whatever the Americans do. 
So because the Americans weren't willing to do it, Israel wasn't willing to do. And so what did they do? They created an executive use authorization that restricted and limited access to only hospitalized patients, effectively cutting it off from uh, patients in the, out in the outpatient setting at home. This has been documented by the Dr. Rick Bright himself in a documentary called Totally Under Control. These are not my words, those are his words. And furthermore, uh, then they took away the emergency use authorization of hydroxychloroquine and they used the Lancet study that showed that hydroxychloroquine kills people. The problem with that study was that it was fraud and the Lancet had to retract that study because it was based on data that didn't exist. But the, but the FDA and the CDC used that study after it was retracted to revoke the emergency use authorization. And the reason why is that if someone has, if a drug has emergency use authorization, other drugs can't. And three weeks later, remdesivir made by Gilead Pharmaceuticals received an emergency use author, uh, authorization and a $3 billion contract. And remdesivir showed no benefit. It reduced hospital stay by five days, but it would no survival benefit and cost $3,200 a patient and IV. The drugs that I was using was cost 20 cents a pill at home and reduced death and hospitalization by 84%. That means it reduced the market share for remdesivir by 84%. So the CDC is not an authority to me. You know, according to the NIH right now, you're not supposed to treat COVID unless you're in the hospital and your oxygen is less than 92%. Now, this is a, a advice and recommendations of, of a government that wants you to die. After 18 months and dozens of studies that have shown an 85% on average benefit of healing, avoiding hospitalization and death, and you have a government agency still making that recommendation, They've completely lost all credibility. Yes, our governments are corrupt. Yes, our governments have conspired. Do you know, if I was organizing this, I would come to a world leader. I would come to Bibi or, or Bennett and say, listen, quiet. Here is $500 million. Uh, I'll put it in an account that you'll know, no one can trace. Just listen to us. And if you don't, we're going to kill your family. <laughs> wow. Uh, one of the Jewish elders just put his face in his hands uh, in utter disappointment. Okay. By the way, if you look historically, right, 20% of the Yidin left Mitzrayim, they say, one shit. And then there was a door of Midbar that died, a certain percentage, right? So I don't know, 50%, let's say. So only one out of 10 Jews left Egypt and made it to Israel. What that means is only 10% of our people are capable of making the psychological transition from the psychological transition from slavery to redemptive thinking. That's what the problem is here. It's a it's a collision of two systems that cannot coexist: a God-centered consciousness versus avodazara. Nothing new is under the sun. It's all the same thing. It's just the battlefield now is COVID nineteen. Okay, th thank you very much, Doctor. I, I want to give you a personal thank you because I used your protocol. I had, I had myself I had COVID, and I 
I was able to get the your your protocol here in Eretz Yisrael. I'm glad you got better. I just hope that every other Jew could be like you. And I second Rabbi Talabach too in the same boat. I worked with him four days. Thank you, Doc. You're welcome. So, so why can't every other Jew? A personal request to tell you for me. Sure. But let's, it's not about me, it's about cholesterol. Why can't every other Jew in Eretz have the same treatment? <sighs> wow. <laughs> I don't know what to think. This guy seems crazy out of his mind. But, and I don't get all the Jewish stuff that's in there. Maybe somebody can email me and explain to me what they were talking about. I'm sure it's something religious that I would find interesting. So, hey, if you want to enlighten me, send me an email. AndrewForAmerica1984 at gmail.com. And now a little on the PCR test. Dr. Dr. Kerry Mullis was awarded the Nobel Prize for his invention of the polymers chain reaction, the PCR. The PCR is a method of analysis and wasn't designed to test for a virus. Mullis explains why. And with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to, a, to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body okay so that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful the pcr test can potentially find anything you are looking for depending on how high you turn it up and this is exactly what has been done <laughs> oh yeah that's right that's another part of the whole covid pandemic equation i kind of i kind of did a bait and switch on you people. Let's talk about the PCR test. The guy that made it says, if you cycle it enough times, you can find pretty much whatever the fuck you're looking for. You know how many times these PCR tests have been cycled? 40 plus times. Sam Winchester talks about it on his podcast. Many, many people have had similar experiences. If you don't think that all of this stuff was big government and big business in bed with each other, creating the narratives, facilitating the outcomes, dividing and conquering, taking more for them, it's a story as old as time immemorial, my fellow Americans. So, PCR test, they can find whatever they're looking for if they cycle it enough times. Uh, Dr. Zelenko is saying that the poison death shot, quote unquote, is uh, the plan of the big club to depopulate the world, allegedly. And... Sounds like crazy conspiracy theory, doesn't it? Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Who knows? Um, but this P 
people I find really, really concerning. Back in 2009, former Minnesota Governor Jesse the Body Ventura had a show on television, True TV, called Conspiracy Theory. And maybe you guys remember back to the Conspiracy Theories Are Stupid episode where I introduced to you Dr. Rima Labo, who talked to you about Codex Alimentarius. We've been over all that stuff with uh, getting into the food and taking out nutrients and you know, GMOs and whether or not things need to be labeled, etc., etc. She claimed in those videos that it was a big plan to depopulate the world, yada, 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 right? Okay. I just stumbled upon this the other day and it scared the living piss out of me. I do not know how to think about this stuff. I don't know how a sane, rational person can't put their tinfoil hat on when they hear this stuff. So this is from an episode of uh, Jesse Ventures show Conspiracy Theory with none other than, you guessed it, Dr. Rima Labo. And when I played the clip of her telling you guys about Codex Elementarius in the Conspiracy Theories Are Stupid episode, I had no idea she was a guest on Jesse the Body Ventures Conspiracy Theory TV show that aired on True TV in the year 2009. People, take a listen to this. Within days, arrangements are made. The renegade physician agrees to fly into a small airfield in the Midwest, only if the governor will meet her there, and only for a brief time. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Governor. Thanks for coming. Now, you've left the United States of America. Yes, sir, I have. Why? I do not feel safe living in the United States. Really? Do you want to come in and sit down? No, sir. I'd rather not. You'd rather just be here so you can make a fast exit if you have to? As soon as you and I finish, I'm leaving the country again. Why? Because in a very short time, not today, not tomorrow, but very soon, we'll be facing compulsory vaccination under the mistaken term of voluntary vaccination. What? Are you talking to me now about the, the current swine flu? I am. Talking about. Now, what is it about these vaccinations? You think that they're bad? Well, first of all, let's start with the fact that the World Health Organization has decided that we have 90% too many people. The World Health Organization has been working since 1974 on vaccines to create permanent sterility. Doctor, the response is going to be, you're crazy. How can you say this stuff? I show them the documentation. Now, this is pretty shocking. This process has already been ongoing. To make matters worse, we know that the vaccines that were illegally approved by the FDA contain a substance called squalene. Squalene. 
an organic compound used in vaccines to stimulate the immune system and increase the response. If I inject you with squalene, your immune system will attack the squalene, but then it starts attacking all of the parts of your body. What does that look like when you meet a person to whom that is happening? It looks like Gulf War syndrome. It looks like every joint in the body swollen and intolerably painful and immobilized. This is in these shots they're going to give us? It's in some of them, but the U.S. government has a trick up their sleeve. Which is? Still ahead, the Conspiracy Shocker, a group that's even more powerful than the Bilderbergs. What that means is a holocaust, a genocidal holocaust. Ooh, dramatic commercial. Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura's investigation into the secret society that runs the world has led to this. A meeting at a remote airstrip with Dr. Rima Labo. The physician fled the United States in fear of the Bilderberg's plan to use vaccines to kill off much of the world's population. They will induce a pandemic using the nasal mist vaccine, which is a live attenuated virus. That means that if I take it, I can infect you. You're going to get the flu. Everybody around us is going to get the flu. Then the United States government, based on their statements that they've already made, will say, oh my, we have a pandemic. Oh my goodness, we don't have enough doses. So we'll admix squalene at the 90,000 injection stations that the Department of Health and Human Services announced that they will ship the vaccines to. People lining up, sometimes by the hundreds, for an H1N1 flu shot. What that means is a holocaust, a genocidal holocaust. Men and women will sicken and die, and those who survive will be infertile. If people start dying massively from these inoculations, won't there be like a revolution, a rebellion, a rising up from the peasants? Briefly, until the 420,000 U.S. military swing into action. If you remember, NORTHCOM, the Northern Command, was created not long ago to, among other things, relocate the population in the event of civil disorder or pandemics. Doctor, what you're saying is that if people refuse these vaccinations, that FEMA's going to put them into almost like concentration camps around the country? I think you have to leave out the word almost. Doctor, how can you say this stuff? Let me tell you a story. In 2003, I had a patient in my drug-free medical practice who was a head of state. And one day she said, you know, it's almost time for the great culling to begin. The what? 
That's what I said. The what? She said the great culling, C-U-L-L-I-N-G, when you thin the herd. I said, what are you talking about? She said, it's almost time for the useless eaters to be culled. And she said, those are the people who are consuming our non-renewable natural resources. I said, who are the people who make this decision? She said, we, the aristocrats. This person you talk to, you're bound because you're a physician and there's, there's the relationship that you can't talk. Is this person a member of the Bilderbergs? She is not Queen Beatrice. She is not the Queen of England. She is not Henry Kissinger. But she certainly presented herself as a member of that power elite and she certainly was a head of state now the Bilderbergers are much talked about at this point I said who's behind this and she said well you've heard of the Bilderbergers of course I said are they the people at the top she said no the investigation is about to move into uncharted territory Doctor, we're talking about some wild stuff here, extinguishing 90% of the world's population. Now, what you're saying to me is the Bilderbergs are not the top echelon, that there's somebody above them? According to what I was told by this woman, there's a council of seven men, and they make long-term decisions about what they want to see happen, which country rises, which country falls, which economies prosper. And it's really important to understand that these people have no affiliation to a religion, no affiliation to a nation, no affiliation to a political party. They are acting according to their own rules, and their rules are not the ones that the institutions we believe in adhere to. And you're saying these people mean genocide. The swine flu is one catalyst. Remember, if you're a genocidalist, you have to work really hard to kill six billion people. As a military person, somebody trained as a SEAL, you know that the SEALs might be able to carry out the job, but you also had backup and collateral strength. How powerful are the Bilderbergs or the people above them in the world? not as powerful as we the people in the aggregate are when we raise our voices every single time they step back the problem is the dirty little secret is that we have that power they don't want us to know that we have that power her warning delivered dr labo heads back to her hideaway in the mountains of panama her message is clear it's up to everyone else to decide what to do with her information. People have been talking for years about secret groups that pull the strings and rule the world. And for a long time it was rumors and crazy talk of men having secret meetings. But we found out that the Bilderberg group is the real deal. We can put faces to the rumors. And we can put names to the faces. These high and mighty members of the elite don't hide the fact that they're meeting all the time right in our own backyards. They only hide what goes on inside their meetings. Do the members control nations, economies, food supplies, even medicine? Most definitely. Are they out to thin out the population? Kill me? And maybe you? As long as they're behind closed doors, they've got deniability. 
Now we'll be watching them. Stay healthy. I'm Jesse Ventura, and this is Conspiracy Theory. Wow, people, crazy stuff. It's out there. I can't believe this aired in 2009. And here we are. What, 11 years later? I can't do math. And this shit is actually happening. Maybe not on the same scale. Because I've said it before. There's sensationalism. There's uh, the human mind's desire to blow things completely out of proportion in order to create alarm. Uh, I mean, you be the judge, people. Am I a conspiracy theorist? Is Jesse Ventura and Dr. Rima Labo and Dr. Zelenko and Dr. Every Other Doctor that's ever had anything against the official narrative to say about COVID-19? And about the PCR test, about the vaccines. I mean, part of the research. I mean, I know it. I know that people are not getting symptoms that are vaccinated. Apparently, there's a two-day window where you might get COVID on the back of your throat, and then it goes away. But in those two days, even if you're vaccinated, you are contagious. And that's the whole reason why they're telling us that, hey, if you got the vaccine, you should still probably wear a mask because you could be affecting, infecting others. Um, what a perfect storm. What a perfectly, it's almost like, it's almost like reality, humanity, the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, etc., it almost seems so perfectly orchestrated and so vast that it is beyond human comprehension. Is this the work of gods? Is this the work of aliens? Ooh, aliens. <laughs> I don't know. But people, this stuff is out there. I'm not making it up. I'm not the only one talking about it. It's crazy. Let's move on. So, man, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think about all this stuff. There's so much information that, you know, it's it's a lot to process. It's a lot to process. And, you know, when you put it all together, I feel like there's more to be concerned about with this entire situation, then there is faith you should have in blindly believing that all these um, interested parties really want to save the world through vaccines and all this other stuff. Maybe it's true. Maybe, maybe Bill Gates really is a benevolent guy. Maybe all the stories about his dad being a eugenicist and him carrying the torch... Uh, is all bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's, you know, it's very difficult for me to process all this stuff without 
having to put on a tinfoil hat for five seconds and saying to myself, could this really be everything that I feared it was when it started? Check this out. So I found this. Talk. So in that little bit I just played for you guys, Dr. Rima Labo t- was talking about squalene. And I was like, what the hell is squalene? Apparently it's supposed to induce a, an immune response. And apparently she said, you know, if you, they use too much of it, um, you know, it's going to make your immune system over uh, destroy not only everything virus and bacteria-wise or whatever, but then it starts destroying you and killing you eventually, allegedly, right? So I was like, well, hmm, I wonder if, you know, this aired in 2009 and they were talking about swine flu. So, you know, COVID is clearly years past this aired. So my question is, was, what is squalene in this Pfizer BioNTech mRNA messenger ribonucleic acid vaccine. And I found this. On the hunt for alternatives to shark squalene for vaccines, advocates want vaccine makers to make adjuvants from plant sources instead. Sharks use squalene to stay buoyant. Cosmetic makers use it to soften skin. But in the time of COVID-19, squalene's use in vaccine formulations is what's bringing attention and some controversy to this natural lipid. Squalene plays a powerful role in some of the additives, called adjuvants, that boost the body's immune response to a vaccine's active ingredient. And the most concentrated source of high-purity squalene is the livers of sharks, particularly in shark species that live in deep water. The global trade in pharmaceutical-grade squalene, as for shark parts like fins, relies on sharks caught either on purpose or accidentally with other fish. (laughs) Right. Most squalene is used to make squalene for cosmetics. Demand from the pharmaceutical industry is not known, but is thought to be much smaller. Still, marine conservationists, suppliers of squalene from non-shark sources, and some scientists say vaccine adjuvant makers including GlaxoSmithKline, Merck KG, small a, capital A, and Novartis, should take steps to move to non-shark sources of squalene. If you care about the ocean, you have to care about sharks, says Stephanie Brendel, executive director of the advocacy group Shark Allies. Currently, there are two shark-free sources of squalene. The biotech firm Amiris has developed a semi-synthetic pathway that starts with sugar fermentation. Squalene can also be extracted and purified from the leftovers of olive oil refining. Both methods have made inroads into the cosmetics industry, but neither has entered the more highly regulated pharmaceutical supply chain, and companies could tap other sources as well. As far as scientists can tell, 
Pretty much all plants and animals produce squalene. It is a precursor to sterols such as cholesterol and steroids. It's even in sebum, the oily stuff that makes your noise your nose shiny. We believe squalene is not used uh, more because of access and cost, quote-unquote. That's from the CEO of Amiris, John Mello. He, uh, this article goes on to say, Today, adjuvants contain, uh, containing squalene from sharks are used in common flu vaccines containing viral proteins, parts of the virus, or a disabled virus. So far, five of the dozens of COVID-19 vaccines in development also use squalene, though messenger RNA vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna do not, according to the World Health Organization. So, believe it or not, apparently, allegedly, there is no squalene in the mRNA vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. At least one company, GlaxoSmithKline, expects squalene containing COVID-19 vaccines will be approved and distributed. It is gearing up to supply adjuvants for 1 billion doses. In line with its partnerships with the vaccine developers Sanofi, Clover Biopharmaceuticals, Medicago, and Innovax. And while GlaxoSmithKline is looking into non-shark sources, they won't be ready in time for the COVID-19 crisis, the company says. Wildlife advocates are dismayed that potentially billions of COVID-19 vaccine doses will contain squalene extracted from the livers of sharks, some of them endangered species, and are harvested from the ocean. No one is saying people are going out to catch hundreds of thousands of sharks just for this use, but as it becomes more normalized and as you have global demand with billions of people needing something, it gets harder and harder to move away from this source. What we are asking is to start testing alternatives so that eventually we do not have to keep using this animal product. People, and not just sharks, would benefit if the drug industry were to step relying on shark squalene. Uh, I'm sorry, were to stop relying on it, says John Mello, CEO of Omiris. Squalene is currently used sparingly, he says, and often saved for doses administered to older people or children, people with weaker immune responses. Investments in biomanufacturing could mean more vaccines would benefit from squalene count containing adjuvants. We believe squalene is not used more because of access and cost. Hmm. So apparently they synthetically made it somehow. Moreover, vaccines uh, with less protein or virus are less likely to cause major side effects. Hmm. Lastly, when squalene adjuvants are added, they help stabilize the virus or virus or, uh, I'm sorry, they help stabilize the protein or virus so the vaccine can be stored and shipped without freezing. How? But how did shark liver oil end up in vaccines in the first place? Until the 1980s, vaccine adjuvants contained mineral oil, which is easy to get but not biocompatible. And then it goes on to talk about... Um, 
for example, the GlaxoSmithKline adjuvant uh, ASO3 uh, contains squalene, uh, tocopherol, and a polysorbate. When delivered as part of a vaccine injection, the oily droplets increase cellular uptake of the vaccine antigen and help recruit immune cells to the site of immunization. Immune cells also carry the antigen into the lymphatic system, which signals the immune system to ramp up. How squalene triggers these responses is still a bit of a mystery. Hmm. There's a lot we don't know. We haven't identified a specific receptor that squalene binds to, Fox says. The inflammasome and other innate immune pathways may play a role. Okay, then it talks about Zika a little bit where they tried to use some of this technology or um, whatever whatever you want to call it with the Zika virus. And then it comes down to uh, this part where it says COVID-19 vaccine is based on replicating RNA rather than mRNA or a protein or other viral virus material. I'm sorry, this one company called IDRI. This was what their vaccine attempted to do. Because a typical innate immune response to viral RNA is to immediately take it apart, which would support Dr. Rima Labo's claims, the role of squalene is an RNA vaccine is different than in traditional vaccine adjuvants. Squalene-containing lipid nanoparticles act as carriers to deliver RNA attached to their surfaces into cells. In that system, squalene does not juice the immune response as much as in traditional adjuvants. Okay, so they're saying that because you can't put a bunch in there, because you don't want to, you know, deplete the ocean of sharks, apparently, there's only a little bit in there. So maybe not too much to worry about. We shall see. (laughs) Mr. Mello says, Safety and non-clinical efficacy trials have been completed on Amiris' semi-synthetic squalene. The company is in the process of scaling up and says it would be able to meet the need for 4 billion vaccine doses over the next few months. We have about five pharma companies now engaged, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they talk about, and I don't know when this, I think this article came out shortly after the H1N1. Are they talking about that? Maybe it came out recently, 2021, it says at the top. So I don't know. This is from a website called C and E N. And this was an article by a Melody Baumgartner, December 6, 2020. Okay, so they put this out just a year ago. So this was happening simultaneously with uh, the you know, advent of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, all right, there you go. I don't know what to think. Lots of information, lots to digest. I know, it's deep. Some of it's dark. Some of it's scary. But, you know, let's try to stay away from the fringes. Let's try to stay pragmatic and centrist and rational (laughs) as much as possible. And let's be patient and let's stay positive and optimistic. I don't know what else we can do. I'm vaccinated. (laughs) I'm pretty interested in this stuff because if I'm going to drop dead in the next 10 years, I kind of want to be prepared for that. So, 
Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So here's a clip of a guy from, I want to say San Diego, uh, talking to his city council, I believe. And I wish I had more of a clip to show you, but I just want to give you a taste of what this kid says. Here we go. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, thank you for, for being here, listening to us. Uh, before I, I go further, though, I'd like to address Ms. Wilma Wooten and that propaganda that you were sharing. This, this is not factual. We've actually, uh, being that we are not Cuba yet or North Korea, we still have access to the internet. And it's beautiful because your department has done a fantastic job of documenting the deaths in this county. So what I've done is taken that information which you provided to, uh, to ensure that I'm an informed citizen and I know when you're lying. So here we go. Uh, April 2021, there were 147 people who died in this county. Whatever the positive tests say with this PCR test, which we know to be unscientific and be used at 45 thresholds, which makes these positive tests false positives. We know this, and we also know that 147 people died in this county in, in the month of May. Or uh, forgive me, April. So let's go to May. How many people died in May? Miss Wilma Wooten was talking about how all these people are dying. And that's all I have of the clip, but I watched the full one, and he goes on to say, you know, I have all these statistics that are public record that you can go look up that show that you guys are focusing a lot on one small aspect and not at all on all this other stuff. And you know why that is, people? Because... The ROI is 20 to 1. Mr. Gates, when you look at some of your initiatives, when you look at what you look at funding, how do we need to fund some of your important initiatives differently to get more people on board? Well, it's been 20 years uh, since two new organizations were created, one to buy vaccines uh, for all the poor children in the world, uh, the other to make sure that HIV and malaria medicines get out uh, even to the uh, toughest parts of Africa. Those two organizations have done phenomenally well. Uh, our foundation has put over 10 billion uh, into those efforts. Now, overall, it's 100 billion. Most of the money's come from the foreign aid budgets. And so, as you said, a lot of what we're saying here at Davos is let's look at that track record, let's look at the constant learning that's taken place. And despite all these distractions, let's maintain that commitment because we can get even further. Uh, the replenishments for those two funds are coming up over the next year. The first one, Global Fund, is uh, in October in France. And uh, anytime somebody looks at this, you know, particularly if they can go and see the work, they're enthused. 
so I think uh, we will avoid uh, the fact that it's far away, the fact that um, there's other things. We'll avoid uh, this getting overlooked. Okay, is there a worry that actually this gets overlooked? And how do you pitch to investors? If you have innovation, this is what can help the poor of the world. Innovation through medicine. What kind of advice, and it's better if you have returns, what kind of advice would you give to investors? How, how do they do good without losing money? Well, in, in a lot of these cases, these are grants. Uh, you're not going to get a direct return. Now, the economic benefit because you have kids surviving, participating in that economy, you have them be very healthy. Surviving. The returns overall are fantastic. Uh, we had some people go in and look at it and it was over a 20 to 1 return. But that's not coming back in the form of a, a dividend. It's that you're taking countries uh, that are not stable uh, where lots of kids, up to 15% of the kids die before the age of five, and you're helping lift them up. So over time, like India or Indonesia or Vietnam, they graduate from being aid recipients, they participate in the world economy, and you get the stability that means that you're not gonna have to go uh, expend defense resource there, you're not gonna have a pandemic there because their health system will catch that early and, and stop it before it spreads. Uh, so you know, with the right perspective, which is a long-term perspective, mm -hmm. uh, these are uh, very impactful. In fact, of all the dollars the government spend, I'd say, you know, you're not going to be saving lives for less than $1,000 per life, except in this area. What, what new technology should we be looking at? So you focused on vaccines. <laughs> You've also been focused on drones and other Vaccines things. and drones? Yeah, the drones... Uh, uh, in a few places to get the delivery out, yeah. particularly when the roads are, roads are flooded, uh, which you have in a lot of these countries, uh, Rwanda, we've actually got that working, that's going well. The biggest thing would be some new vaccines. We don't have an HIV vaccine or a TB vaccine or a malaria vaccine. And so these organizations deliver what we have. Uh, our foundation spends an equal amount and, and the governments as well trying to find the new tools and because these delivery efforts have gone so well they're building up the primary health care system delivery so efforts very quickly once we've got something like we have new bed nets mandates uh, those are going to get out there to uh even the toughest areas okay but how, how quickly can you get some of these vaccines well uh unfortunately those are not here overnight uh the new bed nets that avoid the resistance uh problem with the current bed nets uh, those are coming out this year and next year, so that's really soon. Uh, the the miracle vaccine, which would help us end these diseases, uh, those are more in the six to ten year time frame. Uh, so it's proven to be hard to create an HIV vaccine. It's super important because uh, we're still getting a lot of people infected, uh, and to put that to an end, a, a vaccine is necessary. Um, Bill Gates, technology is, is making a lot of people lose their jobs. Who should be in charge of helping some of these displaced workers? Well, different governments have different programs. I mean, technology, in a broad sense, meant that we don't all have to be subsistence farmers. And <clears throat> a lot of emergent needs, uh, you know, for uh, uh, middle income and, and rich countries emerge. So if you let economies be dynamic, uh, you know, some of those, those new capabilities will come in there. In the meantime, particularly if you're interrupting somebody's career, 
uh, where they've been trained in a certain way. Some governments do better than others at reaching out, uh, giving that worker a chance to move to where there's a job, giving them the, the new skills. Over time, the... Okay, so during this interview, there's this little ticker, and the first ticker says, Gate, Bill Gates says there's a 21, 20 to 1 return on, quote, saving the children of the world, unquote. And now the ticker says they're using drones to, quote, deliver medicine in tough areas, unquote. <laughs> oh, boy. The idea that uh, you know, we tax labor, uh, we don't do much in the way these training programs. As you have accelerating innovation, you'll, you'll tend to tax capital more and labor less. In fact, things like the earned income tax credit, you'll actually encourage labor in, in some cases. And, uh, you know, so the overall picture is good, but to make sure there aren't too many losers, you need new innovative programs. Is there a piece of advice that you would give some of these new tech companies? I mean, a lot of governments are asking them to be even broken up. Well, yeah, I don't know if it'll come to that. Um, you know, the tech companies are so successful. In a way, this is the fruits of, you know, being now at the mainstream of how uh, shopping is done, how communication is done. Uh, and so, you know, there's nothing that this will not pass. That is, as long as technology is so key, uh, you're going to have to engage in issues about, you know, what type of speech should be allowed or should not be allowed or, you know, how do tax structures work uh, in a way that countries feel is fair to them. And then, you know, privacy wow. uh, will They're be a very over. big issue. You know, the companies that they engage, you know, I don't, there's not a contradiction between the services they offer and having privacy. That is, if you think about it, uh, you can uh, solve those. For example, face recognition is one where Microsoft uh, is getting out in front and saying, hey, here's what we think those regulations ought to look like, not banning. Now the ticker says tech companies are at the heart of current consumer behavior. That means they're controlling your mind. They're controlling your behavior. You're already plugged into the Matrix, people. But here, here's some more from Mr. Gates. In it, uh, allowing it where it can be useful, you know, finding lost kids. There's lots of positive applications. Uh, but this is one we're trying to uh, not wait until there's problems and then solve them, but to really anticipate them up front. If you look at your three worlds, so technology, philanthropy, and actually the, the world economy, what do you think chief executives get most wrong? Well, innovation is what changes the rules. It's the, the thing that you know I'm most interested in, whether it's breakthrough software, breakthrough uh, health tools, uh, not only for uh, infectious diseases, but uh, all of our big health challengers, including Alzheimer's. And then in the energy space, uh, we are not going to avoid big climate change problems without massive innovation in lots of parts of the physical economy. And so innovation is, is, is what changes the rules of the game. And a lot of CEOs, you know, get surprised. Uh, they don't drive it enough inside their company. So that's, that's my huge bias. That was from Davos 2019. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 58 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast, Vaccines, PCR, and ROI. The snakes are coming out. The masks begin to fall off. The Chinese Biological Laboratory in Wuhan is owned by GlaxoSmithKline, which accidentally owns Pfizer. The one who makes the vaccine against the virus which accidentally started at the Wuhan Biological Lab and which was accidentally funded by Dr. Fauci, who accidentally promotes the vaccine. GlaxoSmithKline is accidentally managed by the finance division of BlackRock, which accidentally manages the finances of the Open Foundation Company, Soros Foundation, which accidentally manages the French AXA. Soros accidentally owns the German company Winterthur, which accidentally built a Chinese laboratory in Wuhan and was bought by the German Alliance, which coincidentally has Vanguard as a shareholder, who coincidentally is a shareholder of BlackRock, which coincidentally controls central banks and manages about a third of global investment capital. This has been episode 58 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast entitled Vaccines, PCR, and ROI. Thank you for listening. I love you guys. And we'll see you next time.